Well, good morning, Living Hope Columbus family and friends. So glad you're with us today, whether you're with us in the parking lot, whether you're with us here on YouTube or Facebook, our podcast, the radio, so many opportunities to worship with us today. And we're so glad that you have tuned in. I want to remind us of this truth that we have said this over and over for the past several weeks. And it's this, the gospel is resilient. The word of God cannot be stopped. And the local church is alive and well during these times. My name is Aaron. I have the opportunity and the privilege of serving as the teaching pastor here at Living Hope Columbus. And again, we're so glad you've worshiped with us today. Grab your Bible and a pen. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And we're continuing our series that we've entitled Joyful as we're walking through the book of Philippians together. And today our topic is selfish and satisfied. Selfish and satisfied. If you'll stand with me wherever you are today, uh, if you're at your home, on your couch, in your kitchen, wherever you find yourself, stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're going to read Philippians 1 verses 15 through 18. And God's word says this through Paul from jail. He says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Let's pray. Jesus, again, thanks for this morning, Father, this opportunity that we have to gather. Lord, although we are scattered today, Jesus, we are still gathered around your word, singing your praises, lifting up the name of Jesus. Father, I pray now as we walk through this passage together that your spirit would be among us. Father, give us the ears we need to hear your word today, the hearts we need to receive it, and the hands and feet to live out the truths that we encounter in your Bible. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, last week I was sitting on my couch early in the morning in our living room doing my uh, daily morning Bible study. And after a couple minutes of sitting there reading through Philippians, just studying the Word of God for myself, my oldest daughter ended up coming down the steps. And what was interesting is when she came down the steps, she had already changed out of her pajamas and she came down completely dressed for the day. She came down those steps and her hair was already brushed. She already had a bow in her hair. If you know anything about my oldest daughter, she never leaves the house without a bow in her hair. She walked right past me as I was seated there on that couch doing my Bible study. And she didn't even acknowledge that I was sitting there. She walked into the kitchen, opened up the fridge door. She got out some yogurt and granola and a bowl and a spoon. And she made her own breakfast. She then walked into our dining room, sat down with this yogurt creation that she had, and she sat there and ate her breakfast all by herself. And then she went back up those steps. Again, didn't even acknowledge that I was in her proximity. She brushed her teeth. She continued to get ready for the day, did all of this without being told. Now, if you have children, you know that at this point as a father, like I'm completely shocked. I don't know what's going on in my house. I'm wondering if Jesus is about to come back in a few minutes. I don't know what's going on. Then after a few minutes of her being upstairs and kind of doing the final things that she needed to do to get ready, she comes back down the steps. She walks into the living room where I had been seated this entire time. And she says these words to me, Daddy, look, I'm all ready for the day. 
And as you've kindly, kind of probably guessed this by now, this whole scenario is very abnormal for my house. So the first words out of my mouth were, wow, good job, baby. I'm so proud of you. Great job. Absolutely not. That is not what I said. I looked at my eight-year-old daughter and I said these words, what do you want and how much will it cost me? You see, we have been conditioned in our culture to constantly evaluate people's motives. Rather than celebrate the fact that my eight-year-old daughter, all on her own, got completely ready for her day, made her own breakfast, did everything that she needed to do, rather than celebrate those good decisions, I was stuck evaluating her motives. And here's what I want us to process through today. It's that idea I said a moment ago, that we have been conditioned to evaluate people's motives. But the difficulty that we run into often is that motives are hard to determine. Rather than focus on the outcomes, we have become obsessed with evaluating the motives of people. Why do they do certain things? And if we tie this idea back to the gospel, as Paul does in these few verses in Philippians 1 that we just read, we learn that when we become obsessed with people's gospel motives, Paul tells us in this passage, you are wasting your time. We're going to build on that in just a moment. Last week here in Philippians 1, we dove into this situation in which Paul penned this letter to the church in Philippi. Paul, as we saw in verse 12, was in a Roman jail cell. He was technically on house arrest, if you look at some of the other letters that Paul had written. He was chained to a guard, but Paul taught us last week that God had sovereignly placed him there on purpose with a purpose. We saw also last week, as we explored verse, first, verse 14, that, we, that Paul's current situation at that time of writing, that God had actually mobilized many other disciples to fearlessly preach the gospel. We jump down to verse 15, and really what we see in verse 15 is that two groups had been formed in those who were fearlessly preaching the gospel. You see, the first group was what I like to call the, the linear group Paul talks about, verses 15 and 16. This is the group who were continuing Paul's work. They understood that Paul was in prison. He was on Roman house arrest and likely would be for an extended period of time. And rather than seeing Paul's work for the gospel, for the kingdom of God, simply stop, which it hadn't, we saw that in verse 12, these individuals who were fearlessly preaching the gospel, this first group, the linear group, were simply continuing what Paul had started. For them, it was about furthering the name of Jesus, expanding the kingdom of God. They were just trying to add track to the train of the gospel that was moving forward. But then Paul opens our eyes to another group that had been formed of those who were fearlessly preaching the gospel. This is the group that I like to call the vertical group. Verses 15 and 17 talk about them. It's this group that were only concerned about building their own platform. They understood that Paul was imprisoned in Rome and that he couldn't go anywhere, chained to a guard. And they saw this as an opportunity now to build their own name. Since Paul was now out of the way, his kind of light has been taken away from him. That spotlight had been removed from Paul. These individuals sought to take over Paul's role with the goal of Paul not returning to what he had actually started. These individuals were not concerned with the gospel being advanced. They were simply concerned with building a name and a platform for their own ministries. That's where we get this title today as we continue this joyful series of selfish 
and satisfied. That vertical group, they were selfish. They only wanted personal gain. That was their motive. They didn't have a regard for the gospel or for other people. But Paul says there was also the linear group that was satisfied. Their motive was gospel advancement for the benefit of other people. And what I want us to see today, let's get a little bit personal here, is that if we're honest with ourselves, those are really the two motives from which all of us live our Christian lives. Are we selfish or are we satisfied? Because every single day, you and I, whether we realize it or not, we are preaching the gospel to the world. We're preaching the gospel through our words. Let me tell you, that's the most important. We're preaching the gospel through our words, through the ways that we live, through the marriages that we engage in, through our parenting, through our jobs. We are all preaching the gospel every day if we identify with Jesus. And remember this truth. If you're a note taker, write this down. That the life I live becomes the gospel I preach. The life I live becomes the gospel I preach. Listen, it does not matter, matter what you say you believe if it doesn't match how you live. You may say a certain gospel, but if your life does not align with that gospel, it doesn't matter. And what Paul calls us to, I believe, in these verses is rather than evaluate other people's motives, which we all do, guilty as charged this morning, let's let the scripture do a work on our motives today. Let's ask the question today, is the life I'm living and the gospel I am preaching as a result, is that done from selfish motives or satisfied motives? Let's look at these few things that Paul shares with us in these verses. First, look at this idea of selfish motives. Verses 15 and 17. Paul says, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Verse 17, others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. To describe these selfish motives in which these individuals were fearlessly preaching the gospel while he was in prison, Paul uses two key words I don't want us to miss. Envy and rivalry. I want us to explore these words a little bit more, a little bit deeper here, because I think this is important. We've all heard that word envy before. It's where we get that phrase green with envy. That comes from uh, some of Shakespeare's writings in the past. Green with envy. It's this idea of this green-eyed monster that wells up inside of us when we are deep with jealousy. This word here that we translate envy is used eight times in the New Testament. Five of these times where Paul uses this word, it's when somebody sees somebody else prospering and they want what that person has. Paul says these individuals he's describing here in these verses, they were preaching the gospel, but their motive was simply drawn from the reality. They had seen what Paul accomplished and they wanted that kind of platform and that kind of notoriety and that kind of name. Paul calls them out in verse 17. He says their motive is selfish ambition. It wasn't Jesus. Their motive was not uh, other people. Their motive was simply a platform. We see this in Acts chapter 19 before Paul found himself in prison. Uh, an example of this happening. People preaching from selfish ambition or selfish motive. Let me read these verses to you. Acts 19 verses 11 through 16. You can actually turn to these in your Bible if you want. Let me read these real quick starting verse 11. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. Now look at this, verse 12. This is so cool. So that even face cloths or aprons that had touched Paul's skin, they were brought to the sick 
and the diseases left those people and evil spirits came out of them. Listen, God was doing special things and extraordinary things through Paul. This was a very unique individual. Now, look at this verse 12 again. Verse 13, I'm sorry. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Here's our envious, selfish motives done through these Jewish exorcists. They were not concerned about furthering the name of Jesus. They saw what Jesus was doing through Paul, and they was like, I want some of that. I want to be part of that. I want that kind of stuff going on in my life. Look at this. Here's what they were saying. I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. They didn't even know Jesus. They were just preaching it. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish high priests, were doing this. Now, I love this response. I think this is one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. Acts 19, verse 15, God's word says this. They had just said, in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, come out of those people, these Jewish exorcists. Look at what the evil spirit says to them. This is so good. I know Jesus, obviously. I recognize Paul, obviously. But then this evil spirit looks at these guys and says, well, who are you? I know Jesus, I, I recognize Paul, but who are you? And then verse 16 is the icing on the cake in this verse. Then the man, right, this is the dude with the evil spirit. The man who had the evil spirit, what did he do? He jumped on him. He jumped, man, that dude just leapt into the air on top of these, these Jewish exorcists. It says he overpowered them. Must have been a pretty big guy, I don't know. He prevailed against them. This is a bad day for these exorcists. And then watch this. Again, this is the second greatest verse in the entire Bible. Verse, end of verse 16. After the dude jumped on them, he fought them, and he won. Then look at what happens to the exorcists. So they ran out of the house naked and wounded. They got the snot beat out of them, and their clothes taken off of them, and they had to take off. This is crazy. But why were they doing it? Selfish ambition. We said a moment ago, the life I live becomes the gospel I preach. Let me ask you a question today. How often does envy motivate your actions? I asked myself that question and then I thought, well, never. I'm not that kind of person. Envy never motivates me like that. Let me ask it a different way. I think this is important. When God is doing something amazing through somebody else's life or in somebody else's life, do you celebrate that? Or despise it? When God has done something amazing through somebody else's life, do you celebrate that or do you despise that? Chew on that for a moment. What about this? What if God brought a movement of his Holy Spirit to Columbus, Ohio, but it didn't happen at Living Hope? What if the movement actually started at a church down the street? Would we still celebrate a move of God? Or would we be envious of what God was doing through them and in them? Look at verse 15 again. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy. What's our second word? Rivalry. The second motivation for selfish motivations is, is rivalry. What's the difference between envy and rivalry? Well, envy says this. Envy says, I want what you have. Rivalry says, if I can't have what you have, I don't want you to have it either. There's a difference. These people are trying to capitalize on the fact that Paul was bound in prison. Verse 17 says this, they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. It's likely we see throughout the book of Acts that these people, these individuals, they were preaching the gospel fearlessly, but it was from the wrong motives. What were they doing? They were probably, based on what we see in the other scriptures, saying negative things to Paul while he was in prison 
and negative things about Paul to other people. Some things they'd say straight to his face. Some things they would say right behind his back. Why would they do that? Friends, understand this about this idea of rivalry. When your motivation is selfish and centers around a spirit of rivalry, people will always seek then uh, from that spirit to destroy how you view yourself and to destroy how other people view you. Rivalry manifests by trying to destroy how you view yourself and how other people view you. It often manifests in this way. Hey, did you hear what other people said about blank? Hey, I've talked to a lot of people and they said this. No, you didn't, you liar. You know, everybody is saying blank. Listen, when those kind of phrases are said from a spirit of rivalry, like Paul is talking about here in Philippians 1, from a spirit of selfish ambition, the ultimate goal of rivalry is to destroy somebody's enthusiasm and character. You see, their, their goal was to destroy Paul's enthusiasm for the gospel by speaking negative things over him. Their goal was to destroy Paul's character, remove the platform that God had given him. They wanted to destroy Paul and take what God had done through him and utilize it for themselves. Friends, if the life I live becomes the gospel I preach, how often does rivalry motivate my actions? I asked myself that question this week and I responded just like I did with envy. Never, rivalry never motivates my action. What if we asked it this way? Have you ever seen God blessing somebody else or using somebody else for his glory? And rather than being a source of encouragement in their life, giving them the high five and the pat on the back that they need, you knowingly or even sometimes unknowingly discourage or discredit what God is doing through them? I think if we're honest, we all have. Now let's get to Paul's encouragement here as we begin to land the plane. Let's look at this idea of being satisfied. Satisfied. Paul says some preach in verse 15 out of good will. That word goodwill is an interesting word in the Greek. It means to be completely satisfied with one's current situation. It's this idea, as Paul talks about in Philippians 4, of being content where God has me right now and what he's doing in me and through me. And Paul says, thankfully, that some of those who are preaching the gospel fearlessly preach from that motive. Verse 16 says, these people loved Paul. So they preached out of love. They loved Jesus, and they simply wanted to come alongside what Jesus was already doing through Paul. But it, I asked this question this week, and I've never thought about this. Who were they? Who were the individuals, the men and women who were preaching from this idea of goodwill and satisfaction? Simply wanting to come alongside what God had already done through Paul and further the gospel, not for their glory, but for Jesus' glory. It was people like this. Tychicus in Ephesians 6. Onesimus, Aristarchus, Justus, Mark, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas in Colossians 4. Priscilla, Aquila, Ebulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia in 2 Timothy 4. And individuals like Zenus and Apollos in Titus 3. Here's what's interesting to me. While some of those names may sound familiar to you, maybe you have heard them before. The majority of those names that I just mentioned you're probably not familiar with. Most of those names you have probably never heard, even though they are mentioned in the Bible. 
along with a host of other men and women who Paul doesn't even mention their name, but they were preaching from goodwill and satisfaction in what God was doing through them. Here's a principle, friends. If you're a note taker, please write this down. If you choose to live and preach the gospel from a place of satisfaction, and you don't care about building a platform for yourself, you simply want to make the name of Jesus famous, hear me, prepare to be forgotten. If you want to preach from a place of satisfaction, just making the name of Jesus famous, prepare to be forgotten. It's encouraging, isn't it? If you want to make Jesus' name known in this world and see the gospel go all over the place, be prepared for nobody to ever remember you. To just be forgotten. One of my favorite quotes is from Nicholas Zizendorf. He said this, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That's the goal of the Christian life. Paul said in verse 18, the goal of the Christian life, it's not the motivations of other people. Paul says, who cares why they're doing it? The gospel is moving forward. That's the goal. The motivation is not a name for myself. It's not a platform. It's not to be better than anybody else. The motivation is to make Jesus known. Let's close with this idea. Often we hear a message like this, and you remember what we said at the beginning. We've been conditioned to evaluate other people's motives. Right? It, it takes intentionality to judge my own motives. I love judging other people's motives before I do my own. So typically what we do with these verses here in Philippians 1 is we, we take this idea of, man, do I know anybody that's functioning out of envy? Do I know anybody that's functioning out of rivalry? Do I know anybody that's living the gospel and living their life from selfish motivation with total disregard for other people? Can I encourage you today? Take the mirror of scripture and turn it back to yourself. Paul says, don't worry about the motivations of other people. Be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. As James talks about in James chapter 1, take the mirror of the word, look in it, dwell on it, and let it change you. Let the gospel do a work in your life. Let me remind us of this final truth before I pray. The life I live becomes the gospel I preach. So how am I preaching Jesus to this world? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you again for your word. Father, for the privilege, the opportunity that we have, Father, to be called your children. God, I pray now that we would do the very thing which we've called ourselves to do. And Father, we would let the word do a work on our hearts. Father, if there's anything in me that is functioning from a, a spirit of envy, Father, that's functioning from a spirit of rivalry, I pray your gospel does a work in my heart. God, I pray that everything I do, how I live, Father, whether it be through the words that I speak about Jesus, through my marriage, how the gospel's proclaimed through my parenting, how I work, Lord, everything I do proclaims the gospel. And Father, I pray that in everything Jesus is made famous. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. That's the goal, is Jesus. Father, I pray your word does work in our heart today. If anybody doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray today to be the day they call out to him and ask him to save their soul for eternity. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.